0: 60 minutes of insight and analysis on the Volunteers and Titans. This is the Tennessee Power Hour with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow.
1: Episode 3 of the Tennessee Power Hour served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton is here. Speaking of Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, that is what would have gone down very smooth after a Titans (laughs) loss to the Giants to begin the season, and that's where we begin episode three. Hutton, our first chance to discuss a Titans regular season game on this show, and uh, it's one that is almost going to feel like a therapy session for a lot of Titans fans out there. The urge to overreact in week one, it's there. It's there for me. It's there for everyone that watches NFL and games for in week one. Yeah. And when you watch this Titans team, it's difficult not to overreact to what we saw in a home loss to a team that went 4-13 and a year ago. This team has a, a tendency to lose games like this
2: recently. And the, last year in week one, they lose to Arizona. Boat raced in that game. Tannehill's knocked around. LaWan's not confident in his knee. They turn the football over, and Kyler Murray goes crazy. This was different. The Titans came out, started the game thirteen nothing. Should have been up much more than thirteen points at halftime. Come back out in the second half, and it was all New York Giants. And while I'm watching this, I'm going, you, "You've got to be kidding me!" Like they're, this is the the Jets and the Texans all over again in, in terms of bad teams finding a way to win against a good Titans team. But it did feel different because those
1: games felt off in the beginning. This one started the way you wanted to see from the Titans.
2: Yeah, and I I think the the urge to overreact would be everything that the offense didn't do in the second half and the defense uh, in terms of their run defense falling off a cliff compared to what we saw a a year ago. I, I just say keep this in mind. They won 12 games last year and lost week one, and they looked awful in week one. So. I'm glad you opened that way, Chad, because I think we should preface everything over the next 30 minutes when we talk Titans football with that in mind.
1: Yeah, and that they were the number one seed a year ago after looking awful in week one. Hutton, the question on everyone's mind as they watched the Titans lose the Giants, what happened? <laughs> well, I thought, the, I thought
2: the New York Giants played a better brand of Titans football than the Tennessee Titans. In the fourth quarter, they lined up and ran it right at the Titans' defense. Brian Dayball goes for two. That's a a power move that Mike Vrabel would have made in his first year as head coach of the Titans, trying to win and, and win the game as quickly as possible. And I still think Vrabel subscribes to that, but Dayball had nothing to lose. His team didn't either, and they were more aggressive. And, Chad, they had the best football player on the field, Saquon Barkley. He was he outmatched everyone. If you're just ranking the the impact players, while it started out with Jeffrey Simmons and Rashad Weaver and Bud Dupree in the pass rush, Saquon Barkley outplayed the Titans' best player on offense, which is Derrick Henry. That's what happened in this game, and that's why they're
1: 0-1. Hudden, three key factors that if you're a Titans fan and you watch that game, things that you saw in this game specifically – That can't happen again.
2: Well, let's start with the run defense, Chad. Everyone knew the Giants' path to victory was Saquon Barkley. Everyone. And they lined up and ran it right at the Titans. I thought the linebacker play was awful in this game, both tackling, angles, uh, it just second level. I didn't think they attacked the run very well. Daniel Jones was pressured throughout, and it made the Giants extremely one-dimensional. If they were throwing, it was very fast, and whenever they were in a a second and six or less or third and five or less, the ball was going to Saquon Barkley. They were putting the football in his hands. Barkley finished with 18 carries for 164 yards. It's only the fourth time that the Titans' defense has allowed 238 yards rushing to their opponent, period, and it happened this past week to Saquon Barkley. This is a Titans run defense that was very good at stopping the run a year ago, and they failed the test on Sunday in week one. Number two, third down offense was atrocious. They were not good on third down, just just one for five in the second half where even the the run game struggled. They had four possessions in the second half that gained no more than 17 yards, three different three and outs, and while they set up that game-winning kick late – the play calling, I thought, was extremely conservative. They lacked a Saquon Barkley, a player to put the game away. And, and Henry was not that guy in, in, in the game. Hilliard was that guy in the first half, Chad. And he was nowhere to be found in the second half. He was on the bench. Vrabel said he wasn't available. Hilliard said postgame he was. So that's, that's intriguing. But the, the third down offense, here are the misses in this game. Short yardage. Third and five. 3rd and 8, 3rd and 4, 3rd and 4, 3rd and 1, 3rd and 2, 3rd and 3, 3rd and 1. That's Titans brand. That's Titans football. Line up, smash mouth, get a yard and a half and get a first down. And how they, they could got not do it. it
1: at times too. Could not play do it. Calling.
2: And then the awful finish. Issues all around, and I'm not just talking about the second half offense. They did not slam the door in the first half. Let's start there. They had the ball first and 10 from the Giants' 11-yard line, and they settled for a field goal. And uh, the defense allowed two explosive plays. That's the difference in the game, really, with Fulton looking back at Daniel Jones instead of covering Sterling Shepard. And then Barkley's 68-yard run where they let him get loose and the defense. Those plays were back-breaking, along with the, the seven penalties in the second half and with all of just the miscues and the, the timing of everything. They still had a chance to win it. And they missed the field goal as well. This was an example of letting one get away that you were in total control of. And while it's an AFC NFC matchup where it's a down the list on a tiebreaker, it's an zero and one start where you've got now to avoid a skid right out of the gate. When the schedule, at least chat on paper, was looking pretty good for them.
1: So, hun, speaking of the urge not to overreact. How do we not overreact to Derrick Henry not being the one to take over this game the way Saquon Barkley did here in Week 1? He didn't look like the best we've seen from Derrick Henry. I don't think he looked like the worst we've seen from Derrick Henry either. What are your thoughts on his performance?
2: Well, Henry, Chad, he has just seven runs of 10 yards or more in his last four Week 1 games. He is notoriously a slow starter not just in games, but in seasons, he doesn't get going. I don't know if this is in part due to not playing in the preseason because he doesn't even do much 11-on-11. 11 11. And you can make the argument it's, it's much easier to get the pass game going early because the quarterbacks and receivers are constantly working, no matter if you are um, throwing to the third or fourth wideouts because your top guys are sitting out or you're just going to tight ends. Point being, he's notoriously a slow starter. I I would pump the brakes on all of the overreaction that Henry's washed up. I I still maintain they're going to use him. Uh, They didn't reach the 25 carry mark like they did uh, on average a year ago or years prior, but, Chad, this is still a Henry or bust offense, and I think it was very evident based on the way they threw the football and who was available to step up and make plays. It wasn't Henry, and now the question is, who else because their best playmaker last year is now in philadelphia
1: hudden let's pivot a little bit moving forward with this team what's the key now for this group to regroup and what they need to do
2: moving forward adjustments figuring things out this is where i think vrabel has been excellent with his coaching staff i'll give todd downing credit with this arthur smith certainly deserves it while he was here they figured things out and pieced things together that didn't work and made it more functional for what they were trying to, to get done. I, I'm not concerned with the run defense. I, I, I think that is, that, that's something that they've been very good on, and Vrabel and his defensive coaches get that taken care of. But the, the offense, they, they have to figure out ways to get Traylon Burks and Robert Woods and Austin Hooper the football. Those three guys combined for nine total targets and five catches. Woods and Hooper each had one each. Those are your guys. Like it or not, I mean, Nick Westbrook-Akine, is a nice role player. That's not a knock on him. He has found his spot on the roster. Chad, he doesn't need to be on the field when the, when the when the the objective is to move the football down and get a field goal. I want to see Traylon Burks instead of Nick Westbrook-Akine, and I'm not taking Kyle Phillips off the field. I certainly don't want Robert Woods off the field. But I need my 16th overall pick out there. That, to me, is the next objective. Is Okay, why were they not more involved? And how do we get them more involved? Jeff Swain played the most snaps of the offensive, quote-unquote, skilled positions of the receiver group at tight end. He was clearly part of their game plan. I think the adjustment is, okay, how do we make our top guys – more of a focal point in the game plan. That's number one. And defensively, again, I, I don't know if you agree. I, I trust Vrabel in that defense to figure it out on the run. They were very good on the pass rush. So point being, this is more about offense putting up more points and, and putting the, the, the boot down whenever you have the chance to instead of settling for field
1: goals. Well, hun, perfect segue as we go to our first break because the key guy in the minds of Titans fans, uh, th- their, their minds right now, is Todd Downing. So we'll ask the question, we'll discuss is this a Todd Downing issue? Is this a receiver personnel issue now moving forward? What we saw against the Giants, what we're going to see moving forward. We'll discuss that when we come back. This first Titans segment of the Tennessee Power Hour is brought to you by Two Rivers Ford. Two Rivers Ford. Tennessee's premier volume Ford dealer who sells all non-specialty new Fords at just 1% over invoice. Custom order your new Ford from Two Rivers Ford at 1-800-900-1000. More Titans breakdown when we come back on the Tennessee Power Hour served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey.
0: The Tennessee Power Hour. Get Jonathan Hutton's breakdown of this week's Titans matchup next Cheers,
1: huh? Cheers, with, bro. And cheers to brothers Andy and Charlie Nelson. After a chance encounter, they dedicated their lives to resurrecting the family business, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And what they found is that whiskey runs in their blood. Made in Nashville, Tennessee, Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey is a taste of home with a real Nashville story. Head to GreenbrierDistillery.com for cocktail recipes and more info. Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey and Nelson Brothers Bourbon now available throughout the great state of Tennessee. So ask for it at your favorite store. Get you some Greenbrier. Nelson's Greenbrier reminds you to drink responsibly. Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, 45.5% alcohol by volume. Don't pay too much for your new Ford. Custom order it from Two Rivers Ford just outside Nashville. Two Rivers Ford is the premier volume Ford dealer in Tennessee. They've been locally owned since 1983 and they sell all their new non specialty Fords at just 1% over invoice. That's right, 1% over invoice. They treat you right and you'll always get the best price. I know because my family has been buying from them for years so call two rivers Four today at toll free
0: 800-900-1000 from knoxville to nashville titans news and analysis on the tennessee power hour it's episode three of the tennessee power hour served up
1: by nelson's greenbrier tennessee whiskey with Jonathan Hutton, I'm Chad Withrow. We continue our full breakdown of the Titans' breakdown against the New York Giants this past Sunday and start to look ahead to a big Monday night football game against the Bills. But Hutton, we got to get into this. The Titans' fan base, they're up in arms over Todd Downing. I think it's very easy to point to an offensive play caller when things are going bad and blame them. And it's honestly an area where oftentimes I, I can admit I don't have the expertise of what they're trying to set up, what they're trying to do a lot of the time. But it's easy to look at some of the decisions on third and short that we talked about in the last segment and second guess. The passing offense wasn't quite there either. When you look at this and try to weigh receiving options versus Todd Downing and what he's working with, what's your conclusion? Well,
2: let's start with the fact that the Titans scored on their opening possession and led the entire game. They had nine possessions with the lead, and they never put the game away. So that that comes down to to me a bit of a lack of, of aggressive play calling, if we want to put it that, and and also at, at times trying to be too cute. Um, I've heard fans that have pointed to the, the wildcat snap. They've they've called that in the past, and it has worked. I've no issues with a play like that where you're getting the football in your best player's hands. The end around to Chigakonkwo is the other one that fans are going to, to point to. And if you're listening to this, you're probably nodding your head where you, you have the option to just turn and give the football to Henry on a third and short. Those things matter in games like this, moving the sticks, especially when you've been so bad on third down. And Vrabel said post-game chat, that was a part of their third down package. They, they wanted to do that. I thought a timeout was necessary there because the Giants had the personnel and, and the look to, to cover that because Lawan even though he missed a block, was still outnumbered on the edge and Oconquo had, had nowhere to go. This is a, a no-win situation season for Todd Downing, and here's why. If he's great, everyone's going to point to Tim Kelly and the addition of Tim Kelly running the passing offense. He's the passing game coordinator. If Todd Downing's awful, well – it's Todd Downing's fault, not Tim Kelly's fault. So that's where it gets a little muddy. And they don't like talking about Downing in that way uh, internally. But, Chad, everyone externally, it's a topic. It was a topic last year. And I, I think the, the number one thing is they're extremely predictable when Henry's not on the field. If it's first down, it's a handoff. They're, and then maybe another carry and then a pass. But if it's third down and Henry's not out there, we know it's a pass. No. I pointed this out. Last year, it's the same this year. And, Chad, the, the, I would like them to mix up a, a bit of that moving forward. But this still comes down to, if not Henry, who? Derrick Henry has to put them in second and, and six or less based on what he averages per carry most of the time, often. They've got to be in second and six or less. If they're not... They are in a world of trouble because they don't have right now the go-to guy, the downfield receiving threat, and that was evidence, evident just based on who they played and who they targeted in week one. That can evolve. I think this will evolve. But for a, a week one performance against a Giants defense, that's not very good. Uh, they had their backup pass rushers in. It wasn't like Tannehill was threatened at all whenever he was dropping back to pass. I would have liked to have seen a receiving core that could exploit that a bit more. But yeah, the pressure's on. He, he, he's the most talked about coach on, on the Titans uh, roster right now.
1: So the Titans always play down to their opponent when yes, they're they bad. Do. They always play up to their opponent when they're good. This is the knock on the Titans. So Hutton, the question is, why do they lack that killer instinct against bad opponents? I don't
2: know. And, and this is... This is where I think the, the good teams really just take you out. Like, look at, look at Kansas City in that first half. Efficient, putting up it. When you get in the red zone, get touchdowns, not field goals. They were good at that in 2020, the Tennessee Titans. They weren't, they slipped last year. Some of that's due to personnel and injuries. That's all fair. This year has to improve in that area. They practice that a lot. The red zone options for this offense. And the killer instinct to me happens in that first half where you, you have first down and 10 from, from the opponent's 11-yard line. You've got to go get points there. Six, I'm saying. And they, they left with a field goal. That's where you look around and go, man, this, they left the door open for this game. If Saquon Barkley breaks one loose and then they come right out, they go three and out to begin the second half. And then the Giants go down and get a big, a, a big score. This will, there will be ebbs and flows with this, and, and the whole theme here is not to overreact. But it, it's hard not to see a common theme with this, with this organization in this era where last year the Texans, the Jets, both beat the Titans. They had no business being in the same category with the Tennessee Titans at that time. This year, the Giants, while it's a week one opponent and things are unpredictable – They had no business winning that game either considering what they're coming out of and the roster comparison with the number one overall seed from last year, now healthy, and Saquon Barkley being the bell cow and the only answer that they had.
1: Hutton, we don't want to be all negative. We never want to be accused of being overly negative on the show. We want to be real with people (laughs) that listen to the Tennessee Power Hour. So there were some positives, even in a close loss to the Giants in this game. What were some positive takeaways watching this effort from the Titans. Well,
2: let's start with Kyle Phillips. They, they have found they found a go-to guy for third down yardage where they need to find a pocket in the slot and move the sticks. I'm very impressed with him. I know he muffed the punt, but then Amani Hooker bailed him out in the end zone on the interception. Um, it sounds crazy, but no harm, no foul despite that. I, I think they have found a player and a role player that that is going to be one of those definitive... Options for them offensively week in and week out, consistent player that's going to to help you move down the field and get points. That's number one. The pass rush picked up where they left off a year ago against Cincinnati at home. They got after Joe Burrow in the playoff game. They got after Daniel Jones in this too. And I was I thought it was a job well done by Jeffrey Simmons on the inside against the run and the pass. Uh, Rashad Weaver uh, showed some athleticism, tracking, turning, and tracking down Daniel Jones for a stop, which was impressive. And Bud Dupree started the way he finished in December, that whole month where I thought he was coming on. They need him now to pick up and be the star without Harold Landry. I thought that was, that was very good considering we weren't really sure about the absence of Harold Landry and what it would mean on the opposite side. So far, job well done.
1: So 0-1, oh you can get over that. Not that big of a deal. 0-2 oh can be a different story for NFL teams. Titans are staring down the Buffalo Bills, who America saw dismantle the L.A. Rams on the road in week one on Thursday night. Hudden, what are your thoughts about this Bills team that the Titans are preparing for right now?
2: The Bills have not punted in three of the team's last four regular season games. That's all you need to know. The Titans are going to have to go score points. This can't be a little dink and dunk and 13-10 to 10 final score. By the way, the Bills PR staff put out that this is the first team to accomplish that punting feat, or the lack thereof, since the individual punts were tracked in 1939. So, again, they have not punted in three of the team's last four regular season games. So, they're efficient.
1: That's an insane stat.
2: You, have to, you also need to control the clock. You can't have three and outs. The Titans had way too many of them they're going to have to control the clock and keep Josh Allen off the field and then protect the cylinder, keep him from getting out, because I think he's going to run more than what we saw Daniel Jones scrambling for. And, and he may end up running more against this Titans defense on the edge than what he did against the Rams in, in week one. They, they, are, they started the season the way you're supposed to, as one of the top teams in the AFC. They went on the road and, and won a massive game on national TV, and now they have 11 days rest. This is no easy task. They, uh, the Titans last year had Seattle on the road without Taylor Lewon at left tackle, and they found a way to win that game. So they need to avoid the 0-2 start. 0-2, Chad, is detrimental to a season. You can over, zero and one okay, no big deal. The percentage chance of actually winning the division and getting into the postseason, especially now with seven seeds, it doesn't drop all that much. 0-2, the stats go way down if you start a season... Over when you're trying to just scrap for a win as they return home against the Raiders.
1: And let's close out the Titans talk with a couple of keys for you on biggest concern coming out of Week One, going into Week Two. Let's start on offense.
2: Well, so offensively, they they have to watch the holding penalties. There were a couple of plays against the the Giants where Chad they they had a nice run. They had a 11 yard run for Henry, for instance, or they complete a pass down the sideline that moves the chains for like seven yards, but there was a holding penalty, it would bring it back.
1: Aaron Brewer, typically.
2: Yeah, and...
1: Who, who apparently can't run block without grabbing someone.
2: Yeah, and they miss Roger Saffold. They, they, they have to rein that in because that crushes them on the road on, on Monday night if, if they don't get that going. And uh, the other key, I mean, we, we've hit on it. They have to find their top playmakers. Get Traylon Burks on the field and get him the football. He was among the leading receivers in this game, but he needs to be a focal point in targets. Same for Robert Woods on quick slants against this Bills secondary and linebacker. And, and Hilliard, Hilliard was working in the first half. Continue to work that. That's not, I'm all for that if you've got a matchup against some slow linebackers, and they exploited that in the first half against the Giants. Rework that.
1: Biggest concern on defense coming off of week one?
2: Run defense. But, the, again, the, the run defense in this game, Chad, is more about Josh Allen than it is anyone else because they're going to get him on the move and let him throw the football. So I would say run defense, and then from a defensive back standpoint, don't turn and look at the quarterback. Stay with your guy. Don't panic. Um, they, they will exploit you for mega yards and big points if that's the case. Christian Fulton got caught by Daniel Jones. Um, if he's getting caught once by Daniel Jones... Josh Allen, the MVP favorite, he's going to catch them multiple times. They, they have to be sound in what they're doing and what is a young secondary.
1: So we're going to talk a lot more Titans uh, next week coming off this Bills game, and uh, there's going to be reasons to rejoice for Titans fans at 1-1, one and one, where it looks a lot like last season, where they play up to their competition this game, or we're talking about what's next after 0-2. Uh, either way, we're going to get into all of it in our Titans segments next week. Next segment when we come back, slightly happier times for the Vols. They found a way to win ugly in a game they didn't play well on the road against Pitt. We'll break it down for you. This is the Tennessee Power Hour, served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. From the honky-tonks to Rocky Top, the Tennessee Power Hour continues next. Cheers, Hunt. Cheers, Withrow. And cheers to brothers Andy and Charlie Nelson. After a chance encounter, they dedicated their lives to resurrecting the family business, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And what they found is that whiskey runs in their blood. Made in Nashville,
2: Tennessee, Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey is a taste of home with a real Nashville story. Head to GreenbrierDistillery.com for cocktail recipes and more info.
1: Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey and Nelson Brothers Bourbon now available throughout the great state of Tennessee. So ask for it at your favorite store. Get you some Greenbrier. Nelson's Greenbrier reminds you to drink responsibly. Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, 45.5% alcohol by volume. Don't pay too much for your new Ford. Custom order it from Two Rivers Ford just outside Nashville. Two Rivers Ford is the premier volume Ford dealer in Tennessee. They've been locally owned since 1983 and they sell all their new non specialty Fords at just 1% over invoice. That's right, 1% over invoice. They treat you right and you'll always get the best price. I know because my family has been buying from them for years. So call Two Rivers Four today at toll-free
0: 800-900-1000. From Nashville to Knoxville, Vols news and analysis on the Tennessee Power Hour. This is the Tennessee Power Hour with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. The
2: Tennessee Power Hour served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey rolls on with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Get you some Greenbrier. And it's time to flip gears. We we talk Tennessee Vols football for the next 30 minutes. And, Chad, this segment presented by our good friends at Regal Realty Group.
1: And I am pumped that my friends at Regal Realty Group have jumped on board the Tennessee Power Hour. I've known Hunter and Richard over at Regal Realty Group for a long time. Hell, I was at Backstreet Boys with Richard just last week. If you think that's a joke, it was not. We had a blast. It was uh, just a bunch of 40-year-old men watching Backstreet Boys. Nothing to see here. Great time. You're going to have a great time working with Regal Realty Group. These guys and all their agents, they're good people. We all want good people in our network. So if you're looking to buy or sell your house, Regal Realty Group will help you from contract to closing and everything in between. Let them do the heavy lifting for you. They've got big shoulders. They can take it on. They're going to make it easy on you. Hit them up at regalrg.com. Again, that website is regalrg.com.
2: The Vols go on the road. They win in overtime 34-27 against Pitt. Chad, this was a strange game. Uh, very early, the Tennessee offense, they They struggled. Uh, but the key here, this team found a way to win. Last year, they found a way to lose. That's my big takeaway. What did you make of the way and, and, and how they went about winning this game on the road?
1: You know, I think you go back to Butch Jones. You know, Butch Jones to Jeremy Pruitt to Josh Heupel in year one, Hutton. That's a program that finds a way to lose when they don't play their A game, when they make a key late mistake. They don't regroup. They don't come back stronger. They don't make plays late uh, to win the game. So that, that's my biggest takeaway is that is a big jump up. We saw Josh Heupel postgame elated. You know, he could barely contain himself with Molly McGrath of ESPN in the postgame interview because he was so excited because he knows that that's a game Tennessee probably should have lost the way they played in the second half. He knows his offense was very disappointing in the second half, yet it was the defense – finding a way to piece together enough plays to win the game, even being hit with a ton of adversity in that game. So my big takeaway is Tennessee won on the road at a top 20 opponent, did not play their best, and they shot themselves in the foot a couple times, maybe even more than that, and still got out of Pittsburgh with a win. They're 2-0, they're looking at 3-0, and and then they're going to be hosting Florida as a borderline possible top 10 team. At that point, now ranked 15th. So, look, the big takeaway is very positive for Tennessee that even though we're going to talk about all the areas they need to improve, it's a program that often has found a way to lose that at least for one Saturday in September on the road, they somehow, some way, found a way to win.
2: Let, let's discuss the good first from, from this victory, uh, aside from another one in the win column. You mentioned it last week on the, on the Tennessee Power Hour. Brew McCoy had a chance to have a breakout performance in in Pittsburgh. He delivered, but, man, he needs more touches.
1: They've got to target him more. He had the, the first touchdown of the game for Tennessee, a big play down the sideline that was reviewed where he was pushed out of bounds. Still don't understand what Pat Narduzzi was so upset about. Really not understanding the rule. The the rules analysts for ESPN ABC, the broadcasters, everyone say no. It's clear he gets barred out of bounds a little bit and comes back in legally to make the play. Seemingly, Pat Narduzzi was uh, a little bit bitter uh, about that play for Tennessee. But look, Brew McCoy, um, he's proven himself to me. I talked about it after the Ball State game. I want to see more from him. I thought this could be a breakout performance. This is not going to be the biggest performance we see from him, but he does score his first touchdown. He gets a huge third and eight pickup where he catches yes. it at the line of scrimmage and breaks two tackles Love that. and somehow, way, fights for the first down. We need to see more from Brew McCoy. We're going to talk about Hendon Hooker and Cedric Tillman also. They need to develop that level of rapport and I see Brew McCoy as a guy who can get tough yards over the middle. That's something Tennessee's lacking right now in this offense. It's a lot of vertical. It's a lot of horizontal. It's not a lot of throwing the ball over the middle of the field to pick up first downs. I want to see a little bit more of that. But Brew McCoy is going to be a weapon for this Tennessee offense. Um, I called it, set a breakout performance. I'm going to go ahead and say it is because he scores his first touchdown. But again, he needs more opportunities.
2: Well, let's stay on offense with Hendon Hooker and Cedric Tillman. And earlier this offseason, I said, I, I thought this, these two had a chance to be what I remember from Jefferson and Burks at Arkansas a year ago, where you need a play, we know the quarterback's going to the best wide receiver on the field, and that guy's making a play. But Hooker and Tillman, Chad, they have epic potential in this offense.
1: Well, anytime it's one-on-one, there's always going to be a chance that lightning is going to strike. I-, I think that's what this – the duo has showed you time and time again, we can go to the overtime touchdown. I Great mean, example. That, that looks like Tennessee's already backed up because of a penalty. I think it's, you know, first or second and 19 or 20 at that point because of a hold, and things are breaking down. Hendon Hooker, typically a year ago, usually would just scramble for a gain of three or four yards. He steps up into the pocket instead of taking off. And he sees that his guy is one-on-one, and there's no doubt about it. He's just going to throw it up for grabs. Tillman goes up, makes a, a big-boy play, and that wins the game for Tennessee. Tillman even dropped a touchdown in this game that normally he hauls in. They weren't perfect, perfectly in sync in this game against Pitt. But those two that you can tell they've worked together in the offseason a lot, they had that rapport a year ago. We're only going to see more and more of that. I want to see Hendon Hooker develop that more with other players. Jalen Hyatt had a career high of receptions with 11 in this game. So we're seeing some of that from the slot position. Need to see more from Brew McCoy. But when you look at even on a, a really, I would say for those two, a pedestrian day. Yeah, Hendon Hooker is the offensive player of the week in the SEC. Um, Cedric Tillman. Uh, has uh, 165 receiving yards in a game where he could have had well over 200. Easily. Had he, had he caught the other bomb in this game. And Hutton, and I still think, man, they left plays on the field. Like, it could be even better. I mean, when they're done, this could be the most prolific quarterback-receiver tandem in a year-and-a-half spurt Tennessee has ever seen, and it may not even be close when you're talking about top quarterback, top receiver. So – I know Tennessee fans are excited to see what this duo can do as we move forward, but I think statistically, because of how fast Josh Heupel's offense plays, I don't know that we're even putting it into prop- proper perspective just how great they're going to be statistically.
2: And then let's let's switch sides. Aaron Beasley, he's playing well. Tyler Bear and Byron Young, they're starting to assert themselves. Good signs moving forward out of this game from Pitt.
1: Yeah, and the biggest one is Aaron Beasley. I I did not see this coming. I I thought when Juwan Mitchell was ruled ineligible for the Ball State game, I'm thinking, man, they're going to need him to come back. And now after two weeks, Aaron Beasley's been their most consistent performer at linebacker. So I think even when Juwan Mitchell is healthy and ready to go, I'm not sure that he's got a spot waiting on him because Aaron Beasley has taken that spot. So he's been a pleasant surprise. We said a week ago, Hutton, we need more out of Byron Young and Tyler Barron if Tennessee's pass rush is going to make it happen. They started to deliver in this game. Byron Young, I know, was defensive lineman of the week in the SEC. I thought Tyler Barron, going back and watching late fourth quarter and overtime, really started to assert himself. Shades of Derek Barnett, honestly, where late in games you just know he was going to be around the quarterback when Tennessee needed it the the most. I thought Tyler Barron – was around uh, Patty, the quarterback for Pitt, late in that game in an overtime. So that's a really good sign for Tennessee's defense. We're going to get to the negatives about the defense, but th- that was one big positive takeaway.
2: Chad, uh, where we must see improvement now moving forward is in the run game. I, very uneventful uh, in, in that area. In fact, there's big concerns there based on the way they're not getting yards in, in some big moments for this offense
1: less than three yards of carry um, for the run game. That, that's, that's inexcusable, and this is not a pit defense that came into this game that was great against the run against West Virginia. You know, West Virginia, now we're getting to the negative, West Virginia lost to Kansas this past week. So if you're doing the transitive property, that doesn't bode that well for Tennessee in the run game considering West Virginia was able to run it all over Pitt and Tennessee was unable to do that. Even when it's a quarterback-designed run, Tennessee had a hard time developing lanes. That was a part of their game a year ago that typically, when they decided to run that quarterback draw with Hinton Hooker, there was a lane there for him to get 7 to 15 yards a lot of times. There was really nothing doing. It was basically Hooker you know, fighting off tackles the, the whole time. This is a veteran offensive line. It's an offensive line that should be playing better. I think they're going to improve in the run game as the season goes on. But, man, oh, man, that was, the, to me, the biggest disappointment – in this game was the running attack. 10 carries for 17 yards for Jabari Small in this game. He's got to be better.
2: Yeah, 19 carries for 64 yards. That combined, that that is not going to win them many football games. And defensively, man, speed is a concern in the secondary. We knew that. But Warren Burrell is a liability right now.
1: Well, when that fourth and five or whatever it was play that tied the game late in regulation – I looked up and saw Warren Burrell on the field, and I thought, well, Pitt's going to his guy. And every time I looked at his side of the field, Patty's eyes would immediately go to that side every time when he dropped back. And I actually thought Warren Burrell was in decent position on that touchdown. It was a great throw. It was a great catch over his outstretched arms to tie the game on that touchdown. But Warren Burrell, there's got to be a better option uh, for Tennessee. I I don't want to dog the kid. He's been there a long time but it's clear that he is the focal point of the opponent's offense when he enters the game. And we saw it on that big run from Pitt. Jalen McCullough is a liability with his lack of speed. Bad angle, and then he had no chance at catching the running back. Jeremy Banks, the middle linebacker, almost caught the running back and caught up to him from behind, and Jalen McCullough had no chance. That lack of speed in the secondary. Didn't get them beat against Pitt, Hutton will get them beat moving forward against SEC teams if they don't get better in that department. Coming up, we will preview the next opponent for
2: Tennessee. It's a matchup against Akron and a chance to get some work before Florida comes to Knoxville. It's the Tennessee Power Hour served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey.
0: The Tennessee Power Hour. Get Chad Withrow's breakdown of this week's Big Orange Matchup next.
1: Cheers, up. Cheers, bro. And cheers to brothers Andy and Charlie Nelson. After a chance encounter, they dedicated their lives to resurrecting the family business, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And what they found is that whiskey runs in their blood. Made in Nashville, Tennessee, Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey is a taste of home with a real Nashville story. Head to GreenbrierDistillery.com for cocktail recipes and more info. Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey and Nelson Brothers Bourbon now available throughout the great state of Tennessee. So ask for it at your favorite store. Get you some Greenbrier. Nelson's Greenbrier reminds you to drink responsibly. Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey, 45.5% alcohol by volume.
0: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bucks and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. This is the Tennessee Power Hour with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. The Tennessee Power Hour
2: rolls on as we look ahead to the Vols matchup against Akron. Served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. Get you some Greenbrier with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Akron, the Zips, coming to Knoxville, uh, Tennessee, with a chance to polish up some things, I guess is the best way I could describe this, as they get set for a massive matchup on the river against Florida uh, a week from this Saturday. I I can't wait for that, but first, it's about making sure they're totally prepared as best they can be.
1: Yeah, look, I... I I don't worry about this as much from Josh Heupel because we haven't seen him overlook an opponent yet. You know, you had to worry about it with Jeremy Pruitt after he lost a season opener to Georgia state, but I'm not as concerned about that with Josh Heupel, but let me go ahead and say the obligatory don't overlook this opponent before Florida simply because anyone in college football can make you look foolish. If you just show up sleepwalking in a game, don't think Tennessee's going to have that problem against Akron. But again, you don't want to find yourself in a second quarter slugfest or giving up more offensively to a team that's not good offensively. They just lost 55 to nothing in East Lansing against Michigan State. Don't give them any reason for hope in this game. Snuff that out in the first quarter. Get back to being a quick starting team, which they weren't against Pitt for the first time under Josh Heupel. I think that's the key for, for Tennessee in this game. And Hudden, also, let's see some more guys right? That's what Ball State's for. That's what Akron's for. Some of these games, it's an opportunity to see what you have a little bit from some other guys because the rotation gets smaller, it gets shorter and shorter once you get into SEC play.
2: And, and what you're describing there is Tennessee football has an identity. They're rushing the passer well. And and again, I've seen improvement from their defense. I'm trying to give them some credit there. Let me jump
1: into that pass rush though okay. for a second. They're rushing the passer well when they decide to go Josh hypo level offense right, on defense. Right. They did that against Pitt. Right. Even against Slovis, they said, we're going to send an extra guy in blitz and make you have the right read and deliver it on time and get hit. And it worked. They knocked Slovis out of the game because he was getting hit so much. Same thing. With Patty, they said, we're going to test you and see if you can get rid of it. We're going to have one guy unblocked every time and bring the heat. Hutton, I want to see Tennessee against Akron's front get to the quarterback with four guys. Let's not send an extra guy. Let's see Barron. Let's see someone in the middle. Let's see Amari Thomas get in there and bat some passes down. I want to see pressure from Tennessee's front four in this game without needing to blitz. They're going to continue to be aggressive because it's in their DNA on both offense and defense. But I'd love to see more of Tennessee dropping into coverage and getting to the quarterback with four guys.
2: This is. This has the chance to shape up to be, and it probably will be. Regardless, uh, maybe for the first time since 2016, I'm trying to go back in my mind here. Tennessee and Florida will matter for both teams in a big way because Florida's already lost one to Kentucky, and here's Tennessee getting over the Florida hump with a chance to. You're, you're on the path to Georgia. I'm not trying to get way ahead of us here, but again, like there, there could be a a seismic. Momentum shift with that matchup. I want to. I want to see the running. I would like to see the running backs more involved in the pass game in this matchup against Akron, just to get them some looks. Yep, right. Yep. And like like you're saying, play some depth at receiver. However, I'd also like to see Hendon Hooker early in this game put it away with Brew McCoy and get some rapport going the same way he has with Tillman.
1: I would make that a point of emphasis is we know what we have with Cedric Tillman. Yeah. Know, this is Tennessee talking. You're saying, we, we've got this with him. Let's get Brew McCoy involved. Let's get Jalen Hyatt. He had the big play to start the game against Ball State for the touchdown. Let's see what, what other depth pieces you have at, at wide receiver. Um, I, I'm completely with you. And it's, it's kind of an odd setup as we start to pivot ahead to Florida. It's going to be a pressure pack game for Florida to not fall to 0-2 in the SEC in this game, but there's pressure on Tennessee too because you've got this hanging over your head where you just can't beat Florida even when they're bad. You can't beat them. You get an opportunity at home. It's in Billy Napier's first year. Lose this game, Tennessee fans are thinking, if not now, when? Are you going to beat the Gators because it's not going to get any easier if Billy Napier continues to recruit well? Uh, so I think there's going to be pressure on both teams in this game because Florida losing, I mean, they're falling out of the, the SEC East race at that point at 0-2, and it's Tennessee's first opportunity to notch an SEC win. So chance this week to get to 3-0 and for the first time since 2016 for Tennessee, take care of business against Akron, but I'm with you, Hutton. In doing so, there's, there's a way that you look in a win against an opponent you know you're going to beat. They're a 47-and-a-half point favorite in this game. They're almost as big a favorite as Michigan was against Hawaii a week ago. Tennessee's going to go in and win this game. It's how they look in this win. How many players play? Are we talking about guys in the second half stepping up and making big plays? Is Joe Milton effective again like he was against Ball State? People might laugh. That's going to be important. I'm watching the pit game, and I'm watching Hendon Hooker sale passes over the heads of receivers, just like Joe Milton did the year before, and it's a reminder that at some point, Tennessee's going to need Joe Milton in a big moment. They needed him last year against Ole Miss, and he led the team down the field, but then had the mental gaffe to run out of bounds in the last play of the game, but they're going to need him in some SEC games later this season, so I want to see Joe Milton play well again. I want to see... A guy like Walker Merrill come into the game and show something after he had the touchdown against Ball State. So even against a bad MAC opponent, there's a lot to watch for Tennessee.
2: It's your last tune-up opportunity because if you lose to Florida, let's just look at what the SEC East would look like. It's muddied a bit. If Tennessee wins that game a week from now, we're talking about it is Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. That's the group. That's the race for Atlanta. And if you lose the game to Florida, well, well, then you've got to pick one up against Kentucky, and Florida's got to chip away at Georgia. It keeps them alive, too. That's where it gets intriguing. But the Vols now have a chance to... We were discussing the Titans earlier. A chance to put it away. You're mentioning put this Akron team away quickly. They have a chance to solidify themselves as one of the three immediately
1: no doubt and we're not coaches so we don't have to talk like coaches no. so you know it's not about the process it is about the result for us on this show so let's talk about the results and what could happen moving forward Th- this has been on my mind since the season started if tennessee were to lose to Pitt on saturday that would have made florida a must win to have the season they want they get some relief because now they're going to be 3-0 and playing florida but if they lose to florida LSU on the road becomes a must-win to try to get to the season that Tennessee wants. So you're playing with house money a bit as you move forward. Win this game Saturday, beat Florida, get to four and zero, and then you're playing at LSU. I mean, things are really starting to look up. Suddenly, Tennessee fans are thinking about nine, ten wins in a season. Right? I mean, that's not that's not out of the realm of possibility if Tennessee can can beat. Uh, this Florida team. So, uh, again, that's why the pit win, I think, was so big for Tennessee because, A, it sets up a great environment in Knoxville that we don't often see for this game. The only thing that could be better
2: is if Florida won against Kentucky, but I know Tennessee fans want nothing to do with
1: that. It it would have felt like the 90s if that would have happened because it would have been two top ten teams, or right around the top ten. So that's a bit of a bummer for that matchup, but it's Florida limping in a little bit more than Tennessee in this game. Typically, it's Tennessee the one limping in to this matchup against Florida. The question then will be, who's going to be limping out of that matchup? But going back to the win over Pitt, I think it was so important to win that game because coming into the season, we Tennessee had three – and we talked about the three toss-up games at Pitt, Florida at home, at LSU. If you win two of those three, then the dreams of a nine- or ten-win season – is well within reach at that point for Tennessee. Chad, when we return
2: on the Tennessee Power Hour next week, we will be re- recapping the, the Titans' Monday night football performance in Buffalo, and it will be Tennessee-Florida week. So the Titans will be preparing for the Raiders at Nissan Stadium, either staring at 1-1 one and one or 0-2. Oh and, and meanwhile, I think we know how the, the Vols should treat the Zips in this, we move forward to Tennessee and, and Florida and what's going to be an epic showdown on our path to Knoxville because we'll be there.
1: Absolutely, and whatever happens, win, lose, draw, or other Hutton, we'll be sipping on Nelson's Greenbrier, Tennessee whiskey. Get you some Greenbrier yep. if you're going to be watching all these games, which we know that you will, and a big thanks to our presenting sponsor. Also, a big thanks to Two Rivers Ford and Regal Realty Group who jumped on board this week. RegalRG.com is that website.
2: And we hope you'll share the podcast. We hope you get word out. If you're listening to this great radio station or if you're listening online to the podcast, we hope you'll share and alert that it's available each and every week. That we're back. We're back, baby. We're back. We're talking all things balls and Titans. 30 minutes each and a jam-packed 60 minutes. Glad you've been with us for the Tennessee Power Hour, served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey.